that show, Cindy? Do you remember it was a show on OWN recently? Uh, Ava show uh, about... Did you see it? I know you said you don't watch too much TV, Dr. Lex. Well, no, I got hating kids, so <laughs> I only get to watch TV when they go Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 164 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. I often hear comments about how laborious being in relationships is. And while, of course, I recognize that we're coming into relationships with all of our stuff, and so are our partners, but I'm often curious about where we get these messages from and how it has become so ingrained in many of our minds. So, of course, I had to bring in one of my incredible colleagues to chat about it. Today, we're joined by Dr. Lex Brown-James. Dr. Lex is an Amazon best-selling author of These Are My Eyes, This Is My Nose, This is my vulva, these are my toes, and is a licensed marriage and family therapist, an ASEC certified sexuality educator and supervisor. As CEO of the Institute for Intimacy and Sexuality, Dr. Lex helps couples connect as the couple's clinician. When not in therapy, she contracts with organizations regarding reproductive justice and accessible, comprehensive, intersectional, and anti-oppressive sexuality education. Dr. Lex and I chatted about where these messages about partnership come from, what she considers the real work of partnership to be, four warning signs you want to be on the lookout for in your relationship, and she shares what vulnerability looks like in a partnership. If you notice something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Lex. Thank you so much for having me. I love being here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to chat with you. So I thought that today we could talk a little bit about just this idea that relationships and long-term partnerships have to be a lot of work. So this is something that we have kind of heard a lot about recently, but it also feels like historically, I often hear people talk about like, oh my goodness, marriage and partnership is just so hard. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to hear your thoughts about like why we kind of hear that so often. One of my favorite Facebook memes going around has been, I don't want my grandmama's marriage. Ah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing couples therapy for for 10 years now and sex therapy along with that. And oftentimes I always ask couples, who are your models? Who are your models for positive romantic relationships? And I get 
most folks saying like, I didn't really have a model or they had like one aunt or one, maybe a grandparent, but not a lot of people had models. And, and we forget that relationships way back in the day, even though they, they were built somewhat the same, some were monogamous, some had rolling stones, some were practicing consensual non-monogamy and just didn't have the words for it. And they all existed. However, there's just this lack of understanding with one another. And I think that's where it gets passed down, where it's women specifically are told, you got to make sure you have your own. You don't need to be dependent financially, emotionally, whatever stability wise on a man. And then all of the other like political things that happen where men are feeling gutted, men are feeling like they don't get ownership. Men are feeling like they don't have roles in relationship or they're not necessarily able to understand how they've been victims of patriarchy too and haven't had access to their own emotions for relationships to flourish. So it gets a bad rap. It gets, oh, you got to do hard work when you get in a relationship. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, now there is some work to do, right? I mean, because we're human. But it often sounds like this painstaking, like, why would anybody ever want to sign up for this? Yes. (laughs) Agreed. I think there is some work to do, but I don't think that work is always relationship work, right? So I tell people my job as a therapist is to take care of the relationship between you two, right? And I don't think people come to relationships 50 to 50. I think you need to come to a relationship 100 and 100. And maybe you like at 85 that day and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But you need to know that like, hey, babe, I'm not a hundred. So I'm just letting you know, this is what's going on for me. And babe is going to be like, I bet. So what you need for me to do to support you get to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how relationships play out. That's where the work is. It's that coming together. Most people think that they're going to solve a happy marriage by resolving conflict in the marriage. And that's not true because there's always going to be something conflictual, right? Something's going to pop up, whether it's a level one or a level 10 of disaster, something's going to pop up and it's going to be conflictual, but that's not what soothes and and helps marriages thrive. It just helps you resolve conflict a little bit faster. So I'm curious, Dr. Lex, when you say your job as the couples therapist is to help take care of the relationship and I would imagine that a part of it is eventually helping the couple to learn to take care of the relationship I want to know what does that look like taking care of the relationship as opposed to the two people in the relationship or the however many people (laughs) right right Uh, (laughs) for knowledge in my polyam fam of course Um, yeah so when I take care of a relationship it's not my job to like side on you're right you're wrong you need to do this, you need to do that, which is how people come to arguments, right? And we have people who hear that little voice in their heads and they should stop with the argument, but they go past that little voice and keep on going. Mm -hmm. And then we have people who are oftentimes trying to prove their point or they're trying to defend themselves from being criticized. Or we have people that just get so overwhelmed, they shut down, right? And so they're like, um, nope, I'm good. And then we have like belligerent folks who are saying, if you don't get in the ring to fight with me, And I'm going to press every trigger that I know to make sure you get in the ring to fight with me, to show you that you care about me, then you don't care. So if we don't have these knockdown word-based fights, then you don't care because you can just easily walk away. And these are the things we've been trained to think through TV, through our own relationships, 
And it's not necessarily true, right? These are these are actually the horsemen of relationships, as it's stated uh, by Gottman, that predict the end of relationships. So taking care of a relationship is saying, you all have an attachment injury here. Your bond has literally been attacked by both of your behaviors. How are you willing to change that in order to support this bond between you two? Are we going to be able to put your pride aside? Right. Because do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I question mean, comes up often. Right. Yeah. And then it's also, well, are you going to self-sacrifice for goodness? Because it doesn't seem like it's working. Both of you are just very unhappy. And then, mm-hmm. and then oh, the number one, you probably get this, too. We just need to learn how to communicate better. <laughs> well, well, I think that that is often what we hear, right? I mean, and so I want to kind of maybe use this statement to kind of go back to one of your earlier statements around, like, what are our models? Because I think if you don't necessarily have a lot of models, we often get a lot of messages that communication is the thing that is difficult in relationships. Yes, yes, oftentimes. And I'm, I often looked at my couples, I said, what, what about what he just said don't you understand? Mm, so it's not communication. So tell us what it actually is, Dr. Lick. <laughs> so it's actually a lack of, one, relationships that last are built on friendships and liking. So it's, I like you as a person. I know your character. And I'm being intimate with you and not necessarily always physical intimacy, although that is nice based on whatever your desires and need and appetite are. It's really saying, hey, I'm taking this risk, sharing this vulnerability with you. Like, I'm a little bit nervous to tell you. I'm embarrassed by it. I feel shame about it. I'm sad about it, whatever it is. And I want to share this with you because you're not going to criticize me. You're not going to put me down. Right. So if I come in and be like, man, I felt just like Mark was coming at my neck today. And my lover goes, well, yeah, it's probably because you run your mouth too much. Right. I'm not going to want to talk to you no more. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to want to have conversations. I'm not going to feel close with you. So when you try and come for butt cuddles later, no, get away (laughs) from me. (laughs) That hurt me. But we're not taught and trained to say that hurt or I felt embarrassed or this was really, really hard for me to say because I was really nervous about your reaction. We're not taught to say that at all. We're taught to quote, unquote, be strong, be stoic. And all that does is do damage to our relationships because it's like, well, they must have been all right. They ain't saying nothing about it. So mm-hmm. they cool. And then the last thing is we reject repair attempts. So I might have been hurt by what my lover said, right? That critical piece. And him coming to me might have been his way of repairing. I'm saying like, I know I messed up earlier. My bad. How about some butt cuddles, right? Without saying all of those words. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm so mad at you by turning away. So we're communicating. We're using our bodies to communicate. We're sending each other messages. It's just none of us are being honest and intimate in our conversations and our language of what we need. Mm-hmm. So how do you work through that, Dr. Lex, like the not rejecting the attempts to repair? Because I think in the moment, and then this maybe goes back to the other question you had about like, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship, <laughs> right? Because I think, you know, and I'm guilty of this myself, right? Like if I feel like I just want to hold on to like being mad, like I don't really want to hear what you got to say right now. 
True. <laughs> so how do you how do you move past that enough? And, ma- and it has to almost happen in the moment, right? So that you don't reject the repair. How do you kind of get out of your own way so that you are not kind of further damaging the relationship? Uh, I actually have all my couples do an anger iceberg, right? Is something I use in therapy a lot. When I talk to people about anger, I say that it is a response emotion. There's usually a primary emotion. So anger is a fire. It is hot. It can punish people that you're mad at. It can burn them. It gets people away from you. All fires need fuel, right? And that fuel is typically the other emotions. So anger is only the tip of the iceberg. It's only the part that hangs out the water that you see. The 90% up under the water, the rest of the iceberg are all the other feelings. So Dr. Joy, if I said, your mama's so fat, when she jump up in the sky, she gets stuck and everybody laughs, you might show me anger, but what if your mom really is a fat body person and you're embarrassed by it or you're ashamed by it or you feel really, really sad? It's not safe to show me those feelings. So you show me anger instead. Mm. Punishing somebody who hurt you can feel really good, but it damages the relationship between you. Mm. So you got to get up underneath that anger saying, what are the feelings that fuel the fire? And oftentimes it takes a little bit for us to explore. And that means we got to recalibrate on our own. So whatever your self-care is, personally, I like to beat up a bag of ice with a meat mallet when I'm really upset. <laughs> uh, it is cheap and it is a satisfying crunch in my bathtub and I get to destroy something that is not going to cost me an insurance claim to repair mm-hmm. or to replace, but it gets out my, my woes and my angst and it feels really good. And at the end of the day, it's water and a dollar ninety nine. But I have to recalibrate. Yeah. So you're saying that instead of saying like, I don't want to be bothered right now, I should be able to acknowledge like, wow, I'm still really hurt. So I might not necessarily want to reconnect right now, but I am acknowledging that you're trying to repair. Exactly. Like, babe, Got I it. see what you're doing. Like it, love it. Just not right now. I'm not ready to engage this way with you. I'm mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to do some self-care. I need to do some self-work. And it takes at least half an hour. People be like, I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to go breathe. Like, no. Mm-mm. Go ahead. Extend that on out. Go ahead. Watch a Netflix show. Take a really long shower, wash your hair, whatever. Take a couple, take an hour at least, or maybe half an hour, but take an hour at least to be like, let me just calm down. Let me do some self-reflection and then I'll be more responsive to hearing you and vice versa. That other person needs to get out of their feelings of feeling rejected or feeling unwanted and then wanting to punish their partner back too, or wanting to say like, well, you don't want me and needing to be more validated. And then you're away from the original issue, right? Which is, hey, I was really hurt right. today. Right, because now at this point, now we're just kind of in a tit for tat battle about like mm-hmm. who's going to hold out the longest in terms of reconnecting. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a little earlier, and I want to go back to this because I don't know that this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, one of the horsemen in terms of a relationship. And so I know that there are four. So can you share with us the four horsemen when we talk about relationships? Yes. So I like to remember CDCs. I like the CD, you know, you're in Atlanta, the Center for Disease <laughs> Control. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so I'm going to skip one of the C's and come back to it. But the first C is criticism. 
And criticism is not necessarily criticizing a behavior like, oh, babe, you always put the diaper on the baby wrong. That's not what it means. It means you're criticizing a person's personhood. You are so lazy. How come whenever I come home, there is nothing ever done? We've both been at work and you're always like this, right? So you're criticizing the essence of a person and it can really destroy them. The D is for defensiveness. So defensiveness raises its head when you're perceiving an attack. And I know defensiveness has a whole like trigger warning and so does trigger at this point. And so it's activated. (laughs) Everybody gets in their feels whenever these words are thrown around. Um, But for defensiveness, this person really is saying, I think you're going to attack me. It often comes when this person is with somebody who is critical and a criticizer. And with that defensiveness, they say, I'm preparing myself for an attack. You could even see a person start to um, act like a kid in a way. It's really interesting to see because you're just like, wow, this whole adult just became a whole child right in front of me. And they're saying, why are you always attacking me? I didn't do anything. I'm tired too. And their voice can modulate and it can change. They oftentimes will try and spin tables around. And it's like, uh, no, no, not, not super useful because then they can't engage and they don't really take accountability or responsibility for their part. Not the whole responsibility pie. Just a piece of the responsibility pack for the first. Um, I'm going to skip the second C and come back to it. But the last one is S. And this is my personal favorite. I'm really good at stonewalling. Uh. Uh, I am a stonewaller. Uh, I once watched an entire half of basketball while my lover called my whole government name. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was upset and I was done. Right. Uh, There's a thing uh, you might see, like black people say, like, this ain't what you want. Mm -hmm. Right. Before they're like done. (laughs) I was done. And when I am done with something, stonewallers are exactly what it says. They turn to a stone wall. It's like talking to a stone wall. They are not moved. They are not engaging. They are shut down. You can be tuned out. They are no longer giving you active listening cues. My lover at the time, I think, danced in front of my face for a minute to try and get my attention. And I swear I looked through him like his mama drank Windex. I could Mm -hmm. see straight through him. I had no issues whatsoever because I was flooded emotionally. My anxiety peaked. I was angry. I was hurt. There were no words to convey that. And I was just done. And those people typically are the ones who specifically need that at least 30 minutes to calm down, to come back to themselves, to defrag, if you will. Mm And then the last one is contempt. So contempt is the worst of all of these. Um, Contempt is criticism plus moral superiority. So it's, I'm going to criticize you and pick you apart at your personhood and remind you that I'm better than you. Mm. You're lucky to have me. Who would want somebody so lazy? I did all of this today and you only did that? Typical. You're really going to wear that? I don't know. Your body isn't what it used to be. Like, I can still fit my jeans, blah, 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 blah. And it's dangerous. All of these are dangerous, but contempt is the hardest one to come back from. And for every one instance of any of these, criticism, contempt, stonewalling, defensiveness, 
you need at least five moments of intimacy to counteract it. That's how toxic they are. Five. It's a Mm. five to one ratio. Okay. And if that ratio starts to get off, it is a predictability of divorce and ending a relationship. Mm. So this is, of course, all of the work that the Gottmans have done in their love lab, examining all of these behaviors in couples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so why do you think contempt is the most dangerous one? I think because it puts people at automatic one down, one up. Mm -hmm. And when we say that in in family systems speak, (laughs) we mean that it means one person is prioritized and seemingly more important than another person. And it means you're no longer on that equal footing. Remember if I said, if you have come to a relationship, a hundred, a hundred. You're not on equal footing in that one up, one down space. So it can feel like one person is trying to make themselves better in order to be worthy. Got it. Okay. Okay. So speaking of this coming to a relationship 100-100, I think that there is some confusion about how to do that when we know that we are all works in progress, right? Like none of us is completely together all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what does this mean to like come to a relationship 100-100? Like how can you do that if there are still some things, you know, in your personal history that you're working through? Like what does that even look like? Right. So this is when um, one of my big favorite therapeutic words come into play, differentiation, Mm -hmm. differentiation. And differentiation, if you want to go look it up, is a Bowen, B-O-W-E-N theory piece of it that says that you are able to separate your thoughts and your feelings. And you're able to separate your thoughts and your feelings from your family of origin and from your lover or lovers. So these are my thoughts. These are my feelings. How does my family usually think about this? Can I not think the same as my family and that be okay? Or is that going to make me really anxious, uncomfortable, and I'm just going to go with the flow? Same with my lover. Can we have different thoughts or different views and that be okay? It's not a super huge conflict, depending on what's going on. And we can still come together and talk about it and share. So it's really, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the 100-100 doesn't really focus on whether you still have work to do on yourself. It really is more about, like, can you show up in this relationship and claim ownership of your own thoughts and feelings and know the difference? Exactly. Because what we see, we see couples, they get really, really close and comfy. The word is fused, Mm -hmm. where they start to think like one person, right? Or they start to exist as one person when they're, they're two separate entities. So if, um, Dr. Joy, if your lover was really, really mad at, I don't know, a coworker, it is not your job to call that coworker and be like, I heard you had did this to my lover and me and you got beat now. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not, that's not your position. It's not your role, right? You trust your lover to handle his disputes and how they're comfortable or uncomfortable, but you say, Hey babe, I can support you. I can be an ear to listen. I can help you problem solve if you like. And you might be upset that they're upset, but you're not going to step outside of that to go take care of the issue for them because those aren't your feelings. Those are your lover's feelings. And so we don't what, have enough of that. So what kind of like complications might we cause in our relationship if we're not differentiated enough? 
So when you're not differentiated, sometimes it can look like you can isolate from others, one, which is ostracizing. Uh, You still need your own independent likes, hobbies, time to yourself. And then two, when there are those things that you don't agree on, it can start to feel intimidating and threatening to the actual bond that you have. What do you mean we both don't think that this is the way that you're supposed to make ravioli? Huh? Well, what else do you not agree with me on? And so it makes it harder to start to have these conversations of intricacies and nuances and differences when those are what make us quirky and what make us separate and priceless in the world, right? It's our uniqueness. And so you can lose some of that and then also lose some of the trust. Well, my lover won't like me if they know that this is something that I want to do or this is something I find interesting. And for some people, that's true. There are hard limits for all folks. Some people are just like, nope, that's not my thing. I don't want to be with a lover who thinks this way. I'm good. But that risk of silencing yourself also starts to create distance. So you don't get to get as close to your lover and maintain a romantic and caring bond. And you have the opportunity and space to to break that bond or to cause an attachment injury, like I said. So step out of that relationship because you might have that need met somewhere else. So it can become really risky. Mm-hmm. And is this the same place where we would see some of this ride or die thinking come into play, Dr. Lex? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know where that mentality came from. <laughs> like, I need to know where we going and what's going to happen and who's going to be there before, <laughs> before we ride or dying. Um, no, thank you. But yes, it's, it's where we see either you down for me or you not. It's a really all or nothing. Mm-hmm. level of either you show up for me with no questions asked or you not really for me. And that's not necessarily true, right? Because we're whole rounded people. It's not just split decisions. It's context of, I want to make sure you're safe. I want to make sure I'm safe too. And I have, I stand on my own two feet here. Mm-hmm. I will support you, but it's not my job to take this over and fix it for you. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to a lot of resentment. That can lead to a lot of resentment of I'm taking care of everybody in this relationship and I'm tired. On either party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Lex, how do you call out differentiation to a couple? Because I would imagine that for some people, this happens unconsciously and they don't even know that it's happening in their relationship. You are so right. I am experiential in the therapy room. I like for my couples within reason to get up and move their bodies. Uh, So I have them do David Snarch's differentiation stance. And the way they do this is really fun. So they make their palms kiss. So it's like a high five that has to stay there. And they do this with both hands and they stand on their own two feet. And then I have them step backwards while maintaining the palm to palm contact. And so I get them to a point where they're really leaning in on each other. So it's really an upside down B. And we talk about what's comfortable for them. And what we'll find is, is that some couples really, really like that leaning in on each other. It feels good. It's, I know my lover is there. They're pressing back on me. It feels really comfortable. I know if I take them away, then I'll fall and they'll fall. So we have to be in this together. And when in actuality, that's what codependency looks like, right? It's, it's where you're depending on a person 
for holding you up and lifting you up instead of standing on your own feet. Differentiation looks like standing on your own two feet and offering your hand to your lover and your partner. It's just scarier because a person standing up on their own two feet who is saying, let my palms meet your palms, can easily take their palms away and walk away. And that gets really scary for folks because they can choose somewhat easily to not be a part of that relationship anymore. And so when I use this, usually around sessions uh, three and four, most of my couples don't come more than like 15 sessions. So later on, let's say sessions like eight through 10, when we're in a real sweet spot and meat of work, my couples will come back and be like, ooh, I was leaning in right there. Okay, yep, I see it. So I need to stand back up. And I'm like, yes, now how do we get you there? And so they start to recognize when they're losing that differentiation for one another. Wow. So there is so much packed into that one exercise. Yes. This was one of my favorites. I've never heard of this one. See, this is why I love having such a wide variety of people because I don't do couples work, right? So I've never heard of this exercise. Um, So how far into like maybe couples work would you do this? Well, it really depends on the context of the couple, Uh right? Again, I I have such a range. Um, This is usually when people are like, well, we just fight and and I'm starting to see that it's not necessarily the fighting. It's the lack of vulnerability that you're doing with one another. And when I start to see that theme emerge, I'm like, ah, let's do this dance. And they it clicks for them. They're like, mm-hmm. oh. And so later down the line, so maybe, maybe like session three, four, mm-hmm. which is pretty early on, but down the line, so let's say maybe eight, ten. Most of my couples don't go past like 15 to 20 sessions. They're like, oh, I was leaning in again, huh? Uh, Yep. So that becomes then like this beautiful metaphor for them to do the work both in session and out. Exactly. Exactly. And the question is, is how are you making it safe for your partner to ask for help? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, so I just had my hands up. I edited him my hands out. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> right. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you got to be there to say like, I'm, I'm, I can support you. Yeah. If you want yeah. support, right? It's not completely hands off. They're like, that's why you have a lover <laughs> to have some support. Mm-hmm. But it's when are you leaning in and when are you standing on your own feet? And they're like, yep, nope, that, those weren't all of my feelings. Roger mm-hmm. that. right so something you just said Dr. Lex gave me this thought um and I want to talk more about like what vulnerability actually looks like in partnership because I think that there is a way where you can and maybe it's some of this differentiation stuff or something else where you can like be having like what seems like deep conversations with your partner but you're not actually being vulnerable Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I, I want to know, like, what does vulnerability look like as opposed to, like, us just having maybe fake, deep conversations? Ooh, them fake, deep conversations. <laughs> hey, child. Child, they give me a headache. Although, you'd be surprised how many couples I get who, who don't even start off on the fake, deep conversations. Mm. Um, and, you know, in my sexuality work, I get couples who never talk about their sexual fantasies with one another. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. What's what's in the way? Because they don't feel safe. They don't feel good enough. They don't feel validated by their partners, right? So true vulnerability means 
I'm going to take a risk and trust you with something. And I trust that you're going to accept me. Right? You're not going to put me down. You're not going to judge. You're not going to try and fix it. You're just going to accept it. And then you share. Now, I don't mean that on your first date that you're trying to test your, your intimacy by like giving your deepest, darkest things that you've never told anybody before. That's not what this looks like. This looks like over time, you're building trust. Mm-hmm. Over time, you're feeling supported. Over time, you're feeling connected and seen and heard. Right? And then you say, I just shared something really, really intimate with you. And that felt really good. Thanks for hearing me out. And it's reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just one sided. It's saying like, I know you have stuff like that, too. What is it? Or I had this fleeting thought today and I'll give you an example. My 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 husband, I never call him that my lover. um, I knew he really, really cared for me because one day he called me during work hours, which was rare. And he started venting about his day. And I was like. I ain't never heard this from you before, homie. What is going on? Oh, you feeling some stuff today. Let me listen, right? <laughs> and he just started like laying out his level of frustration. And I was just there. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, that's really hard. Is there anything I can do for you? And he was like, nah, I ate that chicken you made. So that made me feel better. I was like, mm-hmm. cool. I'm glad you had that. And we were able to move move forward. But I knew that was him sharing with me something that he doesn't do with every single other person right and so it's that that specialized i'm here for you and it always doesn't have to be deep it doesn't have to be like this was my childhood and this was hard Mm -hmm. it could be like you know what i have some future goals and i don't feel like i can achieve them babe and that really sucks today Mm -hmm. or i feel like i have some future goals and i want to achieve them and i think you could help me will you listen to them right So it doesn't have to be something downtrodden and and traumatic, but Mm -hmm. it's something that's close to your heart is in your spirit and you're sharing that with them and you're trusting them with it. And they're not going to weaponize against you or put you down for it or criticize you for it. And I'm wondering, Dr. Lex, how can you tell? So I guess this is the part where you're talking about like you're kind of gradually building this. So you start by sharing something pretty small and then kind of gradually increase with what you're sharing. Right, right. It is gradual because, like I said, relationships that thrive are built on friendship. Mm-hmm. Right? Saying, like, this, I mean, you don't have to be your best friend, best friend. I have an ultimate homie who is not my lover, and that is my ultimate homie. Mm-hmm. Right? And I can exist differently with both of those folks, and it doesn't make anything any more or less intimate. But you can tell by how they show up, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling like your relationship is really one-sided where you're the respite for all of the stuff all of the time and you can never share your stuff, that's an indicator that true intimacy isn't there. If you're scared to share these things because you're afraid of being judged or put down, that true intimacy isn't there, right? If you're not feeling like this person is a friend and you have to side-eye your lover, there's a question about intimacy there. So you can tell by your, you trust your gut here. You're like, Mm -hmm. you know what? This, this feels good. I see this person showing up and I also see this person willing to engage with me. And as you, as you talk, Dr. Lex, I'm wondering if the ways in which we kind of talk about dating are not completely off base. 
What do you mean? So as you're talking so much about like friendships and like really liking somebody and that really being the key to um, like long-term partnership or marriage, mm-hmm. that is not always what's happening in, in dating, right? No. So, so much of it is about chemistry and you mm-hmm. know, like, do I feel attracted to this person and all of that stuff? And I think mm-hmm. that, that there is some of the like, okay, can I spend time with this person? But I don't know that that is like the driving force for a lot of people. Like this idea of like, do I like this person? Do I genuinely feel like this is the homie, right? Like this is a great friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, because people are led by their loins. And you know what? I, I enjoy a good, you know, loin lead session every now and again. However, that doesn't mean that that's the person you're supposed to be be with for the rest of your life. Or they're led by just commitment, right? So maybe they don't have that friendship. Maybe they're like, I have passion and I have commitment and that's good enough for me. And is that good enough for you? Like, do you really know this person? There are situations we know that people are set up for relationships. Um, people have faith-based and that's how they figure out their relationships. And maybe they haven't gotten to know a person thoroughly. People sometimes feel like clocks are ticking mm-hmm. or they're like, it's later in life. And I really just want to bond with somebody and this person looks good and it's healthy. So let's do it. So all of those things. Yeah. Dating. Sometimes we don't, Well, sometimes we feel like the time is running out. And now if we, we talk about like COVID and all that stuff mm. going on, it, it does feel like we time is of the essence and compatibility is limited and who you get to see and how you get to get to folks. There's also a scarcity mentality. Yeah. Uh, the idea that there's not enough to go around enough people, enough love, enough, whatever to go around. So I got to get with somebody and stick it out with them and just make it work Mm -hmm. because this is as good as it's going to get. There's nobody else out there. Or I spent so long trying to find this one person. I can't go back out there again and trying to find somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of factors there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something else, and I I do not want to miss this, that I made a note of myself and I forgot now, I just remembered. Your earlier comment just about like the lack of models we sometimes have in terms of relationships also makes me think of this whole idea of hashtag relationship goals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so we sometimes idolize celebrities or people we see on Instagram or, you know, like all of these people that we don't actually have real relationships with Mm -hmm. and make them our relationship goals. And so Mm -hmm. I am wondering your thoughts about that and maybe some of the dangers of, you know, kind of this hashtag relationship goals idea. You know, um, I think sexologist Shamira says it, which is like, be your own relationship goals. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and I love that wholeheartedly, (laughs) wholeheartedly, because I don't, I don't necessarily see as many people looking up to celebrities, even Mm. though I know it exists. I see people looking up to the deacon and deaconess in their church Mm. or the couple that's been married for 45 years and that are happy now, despite the fact that they struggled through the first 30 years of their marriage. Mm -hmm. That struggle love, that's what it is. It's if you really love me, we'll struggle together and we'll come out on the other side. Why? Why? <laughs> Why are we suffering on purpose? Like, I don't, I don't think that's going to get you any extra relationship points or kudos. So, yeah, the, those relationship goals, I, I definitely think you have to set what you want, right? And attainable standards. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe, like, you have some characteristics that you really, really want that are really, really important to you and that you value. 
And then you can be flexible on some others mm-hmm. and see where people are. So you can, can vet out like, will this person be a good match for me? Do I feel safe with this person? Can I build a friendship with this person? Am I learning and growing with this person? Because you got to figure that out for yourself. Everybody's different and wants different things and has different values. And how they prioritize those values in relationships is going to be what matters. So yes, admire that cute Instagram couple. Cheer on the Hollywood couple that is making it and doing it. And then figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be hashtag differentiation. <laughs> All right, hashtag differentiation. <laughs> so going back to kind of how we started this conversation and you just mentioned it again, it does feel like there is some thinking that like the relationship is stronger if it has been like tested by fire. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know, is there any validity to that? Like, can you have just as strong of a relationship if you do not have to like deal with overcoming infidelity or, you know, something major happening. If you just kind of live a regular, like, you know, we fight about dishes and who didn't wash the clothes kind of like regular, smegular, regular, regular. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what's funny is I can't, I've been asking people for this word. There's some word. I don't know what it is. Don't nobody else know what it is, but it's akin to trauma bond which is something that happens like in abusive relationships. But this type of bond actually happens when life is difficult. Mm. So um, your mama got sick or Mm -hmm. you lost a pet. You had a really hard semester at school. You're changing jobs, right? And life is hard. And that romantic interest, maybe that loin lusty lover, whoever it was, showed up for you in ways that you needed that helped take care of you during that really, really hard time. So we, we all know that the brain has oxytocin, right? The happiness hormone and things that you get after sex and orgasm, you get the same feeling. It's the same hormone that's released when you look at a newborn baby after birth. It's a feel-good hormone, right? Right. People don't know it's about vasopressin. And so vasopressin is a hormone that tells you to be in relationship with somebody. It says, hey, you should boo up with them. Hmm. And don't they make you happy? Right, oxytocin? Because it gets coupled together. And it's excreted during times when things are really, really hard. So it usually can can last anywhere up to like two years. So if you're a person listening to this and you realize that you want to get out of a relationship every two years. That might be vasopressin talking. Interesting. So vasopressin is not secreted in like times when you're really excited, only when you're like kind of really stressed. When you're really stressed, it's excreted both, but it does accompany oxytocin in times when it's a lot of stress and duress. Got it. Okay. It tells you bond, bond Mm -hmm. with this person. They showed Mm -hmm. up for you. And you might recognize like, I just felt in love with them all of a sudden. And I don't even know where it came from. Interesting. That's where it came from. Uh, So all of that to say. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel like there should be a word for that. So all of our therapist friends or other Mm -hmm. mental health colleagues who might be listening, if you know the word for this, let us know what this word is. (laughs) Because it does feel like it could be a very close cousin to like trauma bond. Right? Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I hadn't heard of that one. Okay. See, you taught me so much today, Dr. Lex. 
Aw, <laughs> you from you, I'm glad to return the favor. <laughs> so any additional resources, Dr. Lex? I feel like you have given us so much today, but any books that you think or podcasts or videos that you think people might really be interested in based on what you've shared today? So I love, love, love Seven Principles of Marriage. Mm-hmm. It has some great questionnaires in there and intimacy builders. There is Sexology Shinamara's Cards, which uh, use your mouth deck. Mm-hmm. which are super, super useful in figuring out how to partner with one another. I have worksheets on my own website, uh, Lex, L-E-X-X, sex, S-E-X, doc, D-O-C, dot com. And there's some worksheets there about pleasure, about conflict and, and ranking your conflicts, and then also getting to know and figuring out your lover and what that looks like. And of course, your podcast, because I think there are just so many nuggets that are dropped and and so helpful both on that self-work so you can come you know 85 to 100 depending on what's going on Mm -hmm. to your relationship and then those tidbits that folks do give out and the folks that you do have on share so much about checking your own stuff and acknowledging that that it's there and then giving people permission to feel that that stuff is there Nice. And of course, we will include all of these in the show notes. So you've already given us your website. What are your social media handles you'd like to share? Uh, So everything is the same across all platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm I'm not that old, but I am old because the tickety-tock thing is hard for me. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I don't have one of those, but I am Lex, L-E-X-X. Sex, S-E-X, doc, like doctor, D-O-C, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lex. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dr. Joy. You have a great rest of your day. You too. I'm so glad Dr. Lex was able to join us again this week. Don't forget to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 164 to learn more about Dr. Lex to grab a copy of her kid's book, or to check out the first time she was on the podcast discussing getting rid of sexual shame. Be sure to share your takeaways with us on social media using the hashtag TBGInSession, and don't forget to share this episode with two other sisters in your circle. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic and connect with some other sisters in your area, come on over and join us in the Yellow Couch Collective, where we take a deeper dive into the topics from the podcast and just about everything else. You can join us at therapyforblackgirls.com slash YCC. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Take good care.